Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. And let's head inside the college football film room alongside veteran scout coach and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg, and this is our first game week episode, Chris. Week zero was last week. It is week one of the college football regular season. Yeah, just going to be exciting. Got a couple of intriguing matchups. I know there's some matchups that may not be as appealing, but there's some good ones. We're going to touch on a few of them. That's going to, you know, there's something about college football, the importance of the games from the very start to the very end. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of unknowns. We get to learn a lot about these teams while trying to figure out, you know, what is it going to mean for their season? And there's one game in particular that could have college football playoff implications already here in week one. Is that crazy? No, it's not crazy because every game is that important in the college football season. It is a new year, Chris, but the one thing that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money down on all the games. It's mybookie.com, the place to bet on football every weekend because mybookie.com has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. And this year, they're hosting the first online handicapping Super Contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. They're even going to double your first deposit up to a $1,000 first deposit bonus if you use our promo code CFILM. Right here on the College Football Film Room Podcast, our promo code at mybookie.com is CFILM. That's mybookie, and don't forget to use the promo code CFILM when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, and get paid at mybookie. So, Chris, on LandryFootball.com, where you give a little film room preview of each game before it happens, as well as the film room recaps, which we do here on the podcast. This is the podcast version of the film room blogs. The score prediction that you gave for Miami, Florida, for those who read LandryFootball.com, was Florida 24 and Miami 20. And do me a favor and refresh the audience, Chris, of what the final score was in Saturday's Week 0 matchup between number 8 Florida and Miami. I don't know. I forgot. What was it? <laughs> it was exactly 24 yeah. to 20. Yeah. The spot on analysis on LandryFootball.com. You could not have been more accurate when, when, when previewing this game, Florida with the 24 20 win over Miami, we saw the turnover chain. Miami defense did what we thought they were going to do, which is create turnovers. Florida had the big special teams play recovering the muff punt. I thought Jaron Williams looked good, but he was certainly pressured in the second half by that Florida defense taking advantage of a young Miami offensive line, Chris. And at the end, it seemed like nobody wanted to win this game. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the first week, the an inordinate amount of mistakes that are normally made, the poor yes. tackling, the turnovers, and that's exactly, to me, that was just what was spot on, what I thought in my notes leading into that game um, was when I looked, when I broke down the tape, it's what it was. It was, you know, a game in which Florida, 
it fumbled twice in the first half, once inside Miami's 10-yard line. It looked like that after an impressive first drive by Miami, which was really good play design, Florida made some really good defensive adjustments, and that Florida had the, the game kind of gone in its way. After the fake punt, uh, I thought they had not only the momentum, but they had the advantages. And well, Miami couldn't they stop lost them on it. any fourth down. They turned the football over, made a bunch of mistakes. And then so Miami's got their chance. And Miami had their chance to kind of put Florida away and couldn't do it. Too many mistakes. I thought Jaron Williams did a nice job, played with poise. Um, a lot of the sacks, in fact, the majority of the sacks were his fault. He held onto the ball too long. Um, the offensive line did struggle. We talked about the advantages that the pass rush, the defensive fronts had in this game up against the offensive line. Certainly the case with the young tackles at Miami. They struggled big time. But not all the sacks are, you know, when you protect and you hold on to the football, which give a lot of credit, Todd um, Grantham and, and, and the job that he had, he made some adjustments with their coverage and kind of paralyzed him a little bit and kind of made him hold on to the ball a little too long. And that, that allowed some pressure to get home. I thought uh, Greenwood was outstanding, the Louisville transfer for Florida. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of sloppy plays on defense. Florida had a lot of mental errors, hitting guys out of bounds, tackling a guy but while the ball's in the air, grabbing them in a third and long, I mean, mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. gave Miami. It just that's where the the quote unquote sloppy play was. Here's what I like to tell everybody, though: everybody wants to define a team based upon what they saw that game that week. No one stays the same. You either get better, or you get worse. So we'll see how much improvement both of these teams will do, or or not. It will really depend. But. Uh, for Florida, a lot to correct. You get a win from Miami, a lot to correct. You get a loss, but I still think Miami's uh, in pretty good shape with something to build on and in, in, in strong contention in the Coastal. I think Florida, nothing, you know, it changes in my view of them. I still think they're behind Georgia from a roster standpoint. We'll uh -huh. see how they continue to develop. Felipe Franks continues to be what he is, very inconsistent. He's got some arm talent. But he, you know, he has a pre-designed direction of where he wants to go with the ball, and he can make some really big-time throws, and he did so on Saturday night. He also put the ball in harm's way. I don't back. know what he was doing there late in that well, fourth quarter. When they got the ball back, the game was over, and he hands it right back to Miami. Well, the, the, re the reason is there's a route. He's nowhere he's going with the ball where the receiver's supposed to be. He does not process coverages and see it so mm -hmm. this is where he goes from a really good throw down the scene that looks as good as any throw you're going to see on saturday or sunday to making a play like that that is what is difficult and quite frankly when i say that dan mullen's done a good job with with felipe franks it's because he's kind of you know hidden some of the warts that he has as a player and kind mm -hmm. of accentuated some of the things he does well but uh, in terms of processing information quickly, he's not very good at that. And that is why he's a hot and cold. That's why it's really, really good and really, really bad. And it's he has not played well against good defenses. He didn't do it last year. And, you know, that's probably going to continue. Are they good enough to work around it? 
a, to have a successful season? Yes. Um, but I think the people that think that, that Florida was a, you know, top six, top seven team, I don't think they're that. And I no. think the people that think that they're an eight and four team were probably wrong as well. So, mm-hmm. um, I think people kind of have it read wrong. I think people overreact, which that happens more in college football than anything else. Every I've learned this, that everybody this summer, everybody's gone unbeaten and everybody's gone to the playoffs. It's amazing. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how that, that, that the viewpoint of a fan uh, is so much different than when you look at it objectively. Well, the second game on Saturday night, a disappointing loss for Arizona. Uh, as much as Cole McDonald wanted to hand the ball to Arizona, uh, well, they have another quarterback there in Hawaii who still – through some touchdown passes, and Hawaii comes away with the 45-38 victory. They were 11-point underdogs going into this game, Chris, and they looked in control from the first quarter on. Well, they ran four verticals most of the game, and they really did a good job of tacking Arizona's coverages that didn't think Arizona adjusted very well at all. They played a lot of, you know, Tampa 2, you know, which basically converts to deep coverage with a Mike backer getting depth down the middle, which so it becomes a, a quasi cover three and Hawaii, particularly Cedric bird ate them up underneath. And then when they jumped on the underneath route, they beat them over the top Mm -hmm. and the voyage of the cover two. They, they just didn't handle that very well at all. And defensively, they, they just really did a poor job. Got a couple of, I mean, look, they got six turnovers at Arizona and they still lost the game. They couldn't stop them. I mean, they end up there, tie the score at 21 with a mini minute, 40 seconds, uh, 47 seconds left to go before the half. I'm thinking, I think I got a little momentum. They got mm-hmm. something to that build on and make some adjustments. Yeah. And then boom, Hawaii goes down and scores again before the half. It's just, you know, they just couldn't stop them. With that said, Khalil Tate was outstanding. Uh, almost tied the almost, game. Almost had it. End. You're right. Almost had um, it. Um, you know, I thought the series prior to that, uh, where they made a big play through a night tape through a nice seam route, um, and looked like they were going to go in again and score and cut the lead to three, the deficit to three. Um, they backed up, they had mistake after mistake, ended up having three or four penalties before kicking it and getting the margin to seven or else that final drive would have been to tie the game with a field goal. So yes, uh, listen, there, there, no, it looks clearly Arizona's got a lot of work to do on defense. We talked about how, you know, you can't overreact and listen, the, the tackling and bringing your feet, taking good angles to the ball carry. We don't practice it enough. So teams will get progressively better the more they practice during the course of the year. So in other words, you know, four weeks into practice, you start, you know, banking up practices each and every day on top of what you did in the spring, on top of what you did in August, all of a sudden you become a little bit better at it. It used to be the defenses were ahead of the offenses. Now the defenses are behind the passing game. And so it takes a while to kind of settle in for everybody, but it looks like Arizona is going to have to outscore people again this year that was a game i thought they needed to win to get bowl eligible this year mm. i don't know that they got six wins we'll see they've got an offense and khalil tate was fantastic yep. um it's gonna be tough for them to win consistently in the pac-12 unless they find a way to get off the field defensively they've got a lot of work to do on that side of the ball and then kevin sumlin what a 
and you go back from AM when he had Johnny football and, you know, it was the, the apple of everybody's eye and everybody wanted him and he's going to coach the Houston Texans. He's going to coach USC. <laughs> he's going to coach everybody. Now it's like trying to hold on and, you know, he's going to keep his job at Arizona, but man, um, this is a tough, tough, tough little stretch here. It was a tough start of the season last year for Arizona. I thought this was a tough one this year, and I thought it would be a little different. I was wrong. Yeah, it was an upset and loss for them. Uh, but, hey, they turn the page, and they focus on their next opponent. And, Chris, we're going to focus on the games that are coming up here in week one of the college football season, which begins on Thursday. We're going to get some information. And where do I go when I want some winners and more information? I simply go to VegasSportsAdvisors.com. They have a dozen pros posting their picks. Now, it's not a betting site. It's just information, and I want as much information as possible before I place a bet. So. Check it out and use our promo code college film room. When you sign up, it gets you a free week at VegasSportsAdvisors.com. Again, that's the promo code college film room at VegasSportsAdvisors.com. We begin on Thursday night, Chris, with Cincinnati taking on UCLA at Nippert Stadium and Cincinnati two and a half point favorites. The over under in this game is 58. This would be a big statement win for Chip Kelly and UCLA to start the season. Uh, youngest team in college football, 87 freshmen and sophomores. Last year, it was a kick in the teeth, a shocker to a lot of people to start off the season. Good Cincinnati team last year, good defensive team, a little bit of a changeover in personnel. Joshua Kelly's a really good back for UCLA. Dorian Thompson-Robinson has got a lot of ability. I think the key is going to be up front. Can they block this uh, Cincinnati defensive front that's pretty good? Uh, last year was Cincinnati controlling the game at the line of scrimmage, dominated uh, time of possession, uh, 34 minutes. That's going to have to change. I think it will. Um, I, I think we're going to see a little bit improvement from this UCLA team. I don't think Chip's going to get UCLA where you had Oregon. You know, we'll, we'll figure that out down the road, but I do think they'll be a little bit better this year. This will be tough to go into Nippert Stadium and, and win. Um, but I think they've got a pretty good chance. I, I like UCLA here. <clears throat> yes, so do I. Uh, moving on, how about the Holy War being the first game of the season? Talking about number 14, Utah, against BYU, that game in Provo. You know, normally you don't see this for the first game of the season. You want to talk about ramping up the intensity for game one? It's right here in front of your face, Chris, with a rivalry game. Yeah, they did it. And obviously, it's, a, it's a, I think, two years now, maybe even third year they're doing it. It used to be, you're right, on rivalry week. But due to the conference schedule now where you've got to play so many games, you've got to move it because it's all, once you start Pac-12, it's all Pac-12 games. Um so this is going to be moved up and this is going to be a, a regular here. You know, this is a better Utah team, but you know, BYU played Utah very well last year. Um, obviously Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss didn't play. Curious to see what Zach Wilson and this BYU offense could bring against this really good defensive front of Utah, pretty solid secondary. I think Utah's the more physical team, better at the line of scrimmage. Um, this Utah team's got a lot of hopes, a lot of expectations. And oh, by the way, you know, BYU still kind of thinks of themselves as king, king of the state, and they are a little bit confident, may I even say cocky, about yeah. how they played Utah last year. So not only is Utah the better team here, 
but Utah has got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, and they feel a little disrespected. So uh, they go into the Lavelle Edwards Stadium in Provo, and it'll be interesting to see Thursday night. But Utah, if they're the type of team that I think they are, they handle their business here. Yeah, Utah is a six-point road favorite. Uh, 48.5 is the total in that one. And, yeah, I like the Utes going into uh, BYU. Usually I don't like road favorites, but for all the reasons that you labeled there about Utah playing with a little bit of an edge, uh, I like them going in this game. Let's move to Friday, Chris, where there's a sneaky matchup uh, as we talk about uh, Utah school. Utah State against Wake Forest at BB&T Field in Winston-Salem. Wake Forest, a three-and-a-half-point home favorite with a total of 62 and a half. This is a tricky spot for both teams, I think. Yeah, it's uh, obviously at Wake, so advantage there. I think they've got good linebackers. They've got good receivers. This Utah State team, and obviously Jordan Love, who has a chance to be a high draft pick, potentially even first round, and we'll see how he develops this year. Can they get enough pressure on Jordan Love? If they can't, if the defensive line, which didn't play very well last year at Wake against the run, uh, I don't know that they have enough pass rush in this game. If they don't, Utah State with Jordan Love is going to be hard to stop, and Wake's going to have to match point for point with them. It's a quick-hitting offensive style, um, not a, a, a real great running game does Utah State have, but they get numbers in their favor where they're able to run it because they spread you out. Uh, listen, it's worth watching just for Jordan Love alone at Utah mm-hmm. State. Really and they score, they score points, Chris. I mean, last year they were scoring, you know, 60, 50, 60, 45, 40, 70. I mean, they, they can put up the points. They can. And, of course, Matt Wells parlayed it to the Texas Tech job. Gary Anderson is back. You remember Gary had the success there and parlayed that into, you know, um, Oregon State and then Oregon State over to Wisconsin, back to Oregon State. So that's Gary's story there. But, listen, I, this – this Wake Forest team, too, is another well-coached team. Uh, Jamie Newman's going to be the starting quarterback. We'll see what they can do. Can they match enough points? I think it is a very good game, and I'm not quite sure here. I think neutral fields, certainly in Logan, Utah, I like uh, Utah State Aggies here. But Wake at home, I think it's maybe a three-point game. It's a fourth-quarter game. Either way, uh, maybe give Wake an edge at home, but I'm not so sure here. I'd stay away from it, folks. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I think a lot of points in this game. Yeah, I like the over in this game as well, 62 and a half, and I'm thinking it's going to be a game that's going to be played well into the 60s, if not the 70s there in Winston-Salem. Let's move on to Saturday, Chris, and we know that there's going to be a slew of games the first Saturday of the college football season. Lots of intriguing matchups across the board, including one, in my opinion, that's going to have uh, national college football playoff implications we'll get into that coming up in just a moment but let's start with northwestern against stanford number 25 stanford is a six and a half point favorite total in this one not that high 47 and a half can northwestern go into stanford and pull off an upset it's going to be tough uh they're certainly capable remember they pulled off the upset uh christian mccaffrey so that would have been uh, like 2015. And mm-hmm. remember, that Stanford team is the one who went on to the Rose Bowl. In fact, that loss, that loss to Northwestern probably cost Stanford a shot in the playoffs that year, if you remember. Yes. Um, um, 
the Stanford team's a little bit of a, a of a transition in style. They're they're less tight end centric in the passing game. The run game, a little bit more uh, of a passing attack. They're going to be without JJ Arcega Whiteside, who's really done a great job with the Eagles. Uh, like their corners, a little bit concerned about their safety depth. Um, I like Stanford a little bit better at the line of scrimmage. I worry about Northwestern's offensive line. Certainly last year they gave up too many sacks. Um, and I don't. I worry about their pass rush. I, I, I think that Northwestern has got to get more out of the passing game. They've got Hunter Johnson, who they haven't named, by the way. They've got Trent Green's son. I think they both may play. I'm curious to see who gets the start. And, by the way, Pat Fitzgerald said, I'm not telling you. We're going to find out. <laughs> Why should so he? We're, we're going to find out. So I'm curious to see that, how that plays. Can they get more out of the passing game? Particularly, remember, Hunter Johnson, folks, if you've forgotten, he was the big, you know, Johnny five-star, four-star that went to Clemson and transferred um, when, the, uh, you know, when, when obviously Trevor Lawrence kind of took over. Um, he moved up, sat out last year. So he's eligible at Northwestern. You know, I think it's going to come down to this. Uh, I think it's uh, obviously on the form. Uh, it's an advantage for Stanford. But can Northwestern kind of strike early and set the tone? Can they rush the passer? Can they get pressure on K.J. Costello? That's the key. They couldn't come up with enough pressures or sacks last year. Uh, if they can't, I think that Stanford will get it done here. If you don't get pressure on Costello, I think Costello – is really good. I don't want to make the claim, but I, I see a little bit of the similarities of where Daniel Jones was last year and where Costello okay. is. I don't think Costello is going to be a high pick, but I think is a bright quarterback that's got more ability than people know. And I think this Stanford team under his uh, tutelage can be a really effective passing a game. So I, I think it's going to be a slow build. Uh, but I think this is pretty a, a pretty close game. But I would give Stanford the edge there with the experienced quarterback being at home, and I do think Stanford is a slight better team in the trenches going into this game. This next game we talked about when we did our uh, ACC episode, and it's Florida State against Boise State. What an important beginning of the season for Willie Taggart and the Seminoles, the type of game that could actually dictate the type of season that you're going to have. Yeah, I just I think a loss here would really uh, be, you know, devastating is strong. I, I think it would be close to devastating for Florida State if they were to lose it. I think a win would help them, you know, but I think a loss would hurt them more than even a win would 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 help them, if that makes any sense. I just think it's a lot of negativity associated with the program. They need a win. Um, this is a Good Boise team, but they're missing a lot. Brett Rippon is gone. But here's what I know that you're going to see from a Brian Harson coach team. They're going to be physical on defense. They're going to be sound in gap control. They're going to play well up front defensively, and they're going to put some pressure on a Florida State offensive line that is having to make a lot of adjustments. They're going to increase the tempo uh, with Art Brown's son, Kendall Browns, running things. So I'm curious to see how that plays out with Florida State's offense. But I, I think Boise likes the playmakers. Florida State should win this game. Pure and simple, they should win it if they got their head right, uh, if they're playing, you know, like they should play and with a little bit more discipline, they're going to win this game. But if they don't, Boise will be well-coached, well-prepared, and more than capable of taking advantage of your mistakes. 
I don't think Boise can win it unless Florida State plays sloppy. If Florida State does, they're going to be in for it in a battle four quarters over there in Jacksonville. Yeah, neutral site, but really a home game for Florida State with it being played in Jacksonville. The Seminoles are a five-point favorite. Total in that one is 53. Uh, The next game, Chris, I want to talk about, I think has college football playoff implications. And maybe it's only for one team. It's a top 25 matchup. It's the game of the night on ABC. It's Oregon against Auburn. And why do I say it has college football playoff implications? Not so much for Auburn because I still think Alabama wins the SEC West and goes to the SEC title game. And and they're going to be the ones that are going to play for a chance to go to the playoff. Maybe it's them and Georgia. Regardless, I think Oregon, if they want to make the college football playoff this year, forget about just winning the Pac-12. They need to win this game against Auburn because an undefeated Pac-12 champion, Oregon, with a win against Auburn at AT&T Stadium to start the year is a good enough resume to get into the college football playoff. A one-loss Oregon Pac-12 champion with a loss to Auburn might not get them in because maybe Auburn is a two-loss team. Maybe Auburn's a three-loss team. Who knows what's going to happen in that SEC regular season? But this game, in my opinion, is a must-have for Oregon if they have college football playoff aspirations. Well, I agree. I mean, listen, an unbeaten Pac-12 team is in. I mean, you know, because they're not going to be five unbeaten. They'll be in, but you got to be unbeaten. And I do think if Oregon's going to be unbeaten, then that means they win this game, and that's going to be a real feather in their cap to win this if they're able to do it. Well, think Um, about this. Think about this way. Think about if – if let's say, and, and this is a completely hypothetical situation here, but we've seen it somewhat play out in the past. Let's say Alabama and Georgia do go into the SEC title game, both undefeated, right? The winner is automatically in. You're going to say that Clemson's in. The Big Ten champs probably getting in unless they're a three-loss Big Ten champion. So you're saying that the fourth spot could be between the Pac-12 champion or a one-loss Alabama or one-loss you know, Georgia team, whoever loses in that SEC title game. If Auburn has a loss, excuse me, if Oregon has a loss to Auburn, that's going to look worse no, it's, it's, going it's, up against one of those gonna, SEC it, schools. It, it, no, I don't think they'd get in over the, I think in that scenario, Alabama and Georgia would be in. Yes, I because Oregon would have a loss to an SEC team in Auburn. But if right, Oregon but, but, beats but, but, that but, team and is undefeated, they're in. Well, I mean, but you know, it, it of course would come down to probably the big 10 team. And unless it's an unbeaten team, you'd have to look at the resume of the mm-hmm. one loss Oregon. And, you know, if the one loss was to Auburn and you had a one loss big 10 champ that maybe lost in a tougher match. I mean, that, that's way down. Listen, it, it, it's early for that, but here's what's not too early. The game is very important, not only for Oregon, but the PAC 12. Uh, they are one in five in the last six games. Granted, two of them were losses in the Pac-12, that is, to Alabama. Oregon's Uh not fared well in these games. Uh, There's no question about it. Um, Oregon may be as talented a team as there is in the Pac-12. We'll see if they are the best team in the Pac-12 or not this year. That's for the season to decide. Auburn's, gosh, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth, best team we'll see that'll the season will determine that best in the sec so there is no doubt just like last year's win by auburn over washington 
was a statement win. And, and certainly the reason why people are not looking very kindly upon the Pac-12. So I think it is a huge game. There's no question about it. And look, if, if you know, they, let's just say Oregon, you know, I'll go the other way. They beat Auburn and let's say they lose one game. Let's say against a really good, uh, let's say they lose maybe to Washington, but still win the the North and they win the Pac-12 and they got a win over Auburn and maybe Auburn upset a Georgia and Alabama, then their resume will stack up pretty good. Uh, but the loss kind of basically puts all their eggs in the Pac-12 basket, which uh-huh. there's not enough strength and enough respect for that league right now to get in based upon winning your conference and getting into the playoffs unless you're unbeaten. And if you lose this game, you're not going to be unbeaten. So <laughs> it's going to be, you know, it's it's going to be very difficult to make it unless, again, you're dealing with this is the only loss that Oregon would have. They play Auburn well. Auburn goes on to have a good year. Don't have to win the SEC, but, you know, maybe their resume stacks up uh, well with Oklahoma or Ohio State or Michigan. Um, There's still a possibility to be the fourth team if it is Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. Who's to say it's not Oregon in that mix? But a, a loss to Auburn, particularly if they don't play well, will probably put the death nail on the Pac-12, certainly of Oregon getting in. And because no one else in the league plays somebody of that ilk, it'd be difficult to for the resume to stand up at the end of the year. I agree. And so we see this game now as Auburn, a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and the total of 56, I'm leaning towards taking Oregon with the points because I think it's a field goal game, and I think Oregon can very easily win. And in a matchup like this, I'm always going to take the points, Chris. Well, the one thing that I look at with Oregon, and, you know, I think what happened years ago is not really relevant, but I think what's happened in recent years is I I think that the one thing that they've had, even with their successes on offense and their athleticism, they've struggled against really physical teams. And, And bowl games are always tricky to look, and we know there's different elements of focus, in those games, but they didn't play very well, Oregon's offense against a physical Michigan State defense. Couldn't run the football, couldn't do anything on third downs, couldn't score points, only scored seven points. This Auburn defense is really good, really salty. This is a good Oregon offensive line. This Auburn defense is really good up front, and I think their secondary is underrated. I don't know that Oregon's offense is going to have the type of success that they need and I know they've got an, you know, a veteran quarterback going up against a rookie quarterback. But this offense is built around Justin Herbert at Oregon. The Auburn's offense is built around the running game. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how this plays out. I think Auburn's the better team. Um, I don't know that it's a blowout, but I, I could see this being a 7-10 to 10 point win unless Auburn turns the football over. I think they've got the edges, even in the trenches. I just can't wait to watch Auburn defensive line against Oregon's offensive line. That is worth the price of admission on that alone. 
Very interesting analysis there. Let's move on to our final game that we're going to talk about here in this week one preview edition of the College Football Film Room, and that is number four, Oklahoma, taking on Houston Sunday evening, the first game in September. September 1st, Oklahoma, a heavy favorite in this one, 23-point favorite with a total of, and this is the Big 12 for you, 82 and a half, uh, that game for Oklahoma. We know that they don't play a lot of defense in that conference, but we'll see if this offense can live up to the hype another year another new quarterback in that system Chris well I think the offense is going to be good but it's also going to be good for Houston and Derek King is a really dynamic quarterback that if you haven't seen out there watch him on Sunday night folks the Houston quarterback is very very good Houston's defense is not very good Dana Horgelson's got to got to fix that in recruiting uh here's what I want to see in this game I want to see Oklahoma's defense and how much better they're going to be. I mean, they were last in pass defense last year, and they Mm -hmm. gave up 454 yards a game. Uh, We'll see what Alex Grinch can do with the defense. It's a personnel issue, but I think they can improve some things schematically. The other thing I want to see in concert with that is the running game, the commitment to the running game by Oklahoma or lack thereof. That's what I want to see. That will tell me a little bit about – kind of where Oklahoma is and their dynamic. It's great to be able to go up and want to score, 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 score. But this is a game that I could see it depending on how Oklahoma plays it. I think if they stay committed to the run, I think they win this game, you know, 14, 18 points, maybe more. If they get into a shootout and they tend to be paced on offense, then I could see this. I think that this could be one of those games that's 48-45, 48-42-ish. And if you're Oklahoma, you're you're wondering about that. You're wondering about your defense, and you're wondering about whether you can get out of this game alive. So this is um, a better Oklahoma team than a few years ago and not as good of a Houston team as a few years ago when Houston pulled the upset over Oklahoma. Uh Remember when Ed Oliver was a true freshman? Yes. This is a different scenario. I don't see Oklahoma losing it. Uh, I think that they'll play it. I think they'll play it, um, you know, smart. And I think they'll they'll be on their way, I, I think, anyway. And it's going to be up to Lincoln Riley and his style to maybe improve the overall flow of his team, the complimentary part of the game. by They've got a lot of good running backs. And I think Oklahoma has a chance to really make a statement here against a really good team in a very dangerous offense. Well, the one thing that we can all agree on is that we will learn a little bit more about all of these teams after we see them play here in week one. Those are our film room previews of the couple of games that we picked out here for week one of the college football season right here on the college football film room podcast. But you can head to LandryFootball.com for complete film room previews of all games across all the power five and group of five conferences. Right, Chris? Absolutely. We got them down by conference. So if you want to know what Minnesota and South Dakota State, uh, what that looks like and, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, Kansas, Indiana State, whatever, we got it for you. So we got it broken down. We'll tell you what to look for and a little bit how the game may play out. We'll do that for you as well as in our notebooks every day, keeping you up to date, what's going on in practices all the way up to game time. So you want to check that out. Uh, We'll break the games down, obviously, after we have a chance to view it. And we'll talk about it here. But as Scott said, you got the in-depth stuff at LandryFootball.com that 
we don't have quite the time to get to all of it here, and that's what it's for. So check it out. We've got a great in-season discount, 50% off, folks. Take, take advantage of it. Less than a magazine subscription. You can have access to a coaching and scouting department. You can learn more about these teams, players, coaches, schemes than ever before. Not just college, but the NFL. Uh, everything. So it'll take you through an entire year, 50% off. If you want to just try it out for a month, three months, we've got those opportunities for you as well. So check us out at LandryFootball.com. If you like football, you're going to absolutely love it. And you can listen to daily new fresh podcasts on LandryFootball.com, including this one, the College Football Film Room Podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts from. You want to make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review because each and every week we're going to give you a film room breakdown of what we saw in the previous week's games as well as a film room preview of what we expect to see in the upcoming week's games. Follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball. You can follow me, Scott Seidenberg, at ScottsOnAir. Enjoy week one, Chris, because there's going to be so much football to digest come next week. Absolutely. Can't wait to talk about it. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.